Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the fourth chapter of the Song of Solomon. We're almost halfway through the series of messages from the Song of Solomon. And today we're going to look at how the groom feels about his bride. Up to this point, we've been talking about how the bride feels about her groom. And we haven't heard a lot from the groom, but we're going to hear from him today. Again, I'm relating this Song of Solomon going by way of the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, where the Lord tells husbands and wives how to treat each other, and then making the comparison of how we as God's people should feel about our Lord and how He feels about His churches. We're only going to read two verses this morning. Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Then we're going to read verse 7. He says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. With the exception of one verse in this fourth chapter of Song of Solomon, we have the shepherd's speech to his Shulamite bride. Remember, we're seeing three main characters in Song of Solomon. We have the shepherd, we have the Shulamite woman, and then we have Solomon. And we've seen Solomon come on the scene and try to attract this Shulamite woman with all of his glory and all of the things that he had, and she stays true to her shepherd. And now her shepherd speaks to her, and we're going to involve all of this chapter in the message, but I just wanted to read those two verses to sort of set the stage for this message this morning. This is how much he loves her. This is how lovely she is to him. Now, folks, I believe, well, no, I don't just believe it, I know it. The Lord loves his churches, and we are lovely to him, and we need to understand that, and we need to present ourselves so. I think we see in these verses the embodiment of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to go over here and read these verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Because Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So there's no question that Jesus loves his churches. There's no question that Jesus loves this church. But he goes on to say in verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And in verse 28 he says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. But again, go back to verse 25 because that's where the emphasis is that husbands are loved wives as Christ loves His churches. Jesus loved this church enough that He set aside equality with the Father, came to this earth and took on a human form, and willingly went to the cross that not only that we might have everlasting life, but that we may assemble together as one of His churches. So the Lord's churches are very special to Him. We understand that. We know that. If Jesus loved this church and every true church enough to give himself for his churches, how should we feel about this church? You know, I hear a lot of excuses I have over the years as being a pastor, a lot of excuses of 
why people can't come to church, why people don't come to church. And I just always wonder, I, I'm thankful, or I always think I'm thankful that Jesus didn't use those excuses when it came to giving himself for his churches. He willingly, I'll say again, went to the cross. So we see from these verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that the church ought to be special to us and we ought to treat this church and every one of the Lord's churches as special as it is to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I've mentioned these verses just recently. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Lord reminds us in His Word that this church and every true church is the temple of God. Know ye not, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and the Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Folks, God's Spirit is here today. God's Spirit indwells this church. I wouldn't want to be a part of a church that God's Spirit didn't indwell. I wouldn't want to attend a church that God's Spirit didn't indwell. In the Old Testament, I like this one preacher shared at one time, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people, didn't He? But in the New Testament, He has a people for His temple. And we're not talking about this building. We've gone four weeks outside of this sanctuary. We've gone two of those four weeks outside of this building. But you know what? We were still a church. Just having some problems in the building didn't affect the church. We're still one of the Lord's churches. And so this church... This body is the temple of God. Now look what else he says in verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You know what that says? It says you better be careful about how you approach the church. You better be careful about your attitude toward one of the Lord's churches. You better be careful and not try to use the church for your own benefit. And so we have to be careful and the church ought to be special to us. We don't worship the church. We know that. We should never come and set the church ahead of Christ and try to worship the church ahead of Christ. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ as a church body in our assembly and as we come together. So the first thing I want us to see, we're only going to have two points to this message this morning. But the first thing I want us to see as we look at these verses from the fourth chapter of Song of Solomon is the loveliness of the bride to her shepherd husband. The loveliness of the bride in verses 1 through 15. And we're not going to read all of those verses. We're going to refer to some of them. But in verse 7, look at what he says. Thou art fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. You know what he's saying? He's saying she is pure. As he looks at his Shulamite bride, again, she's been tempted by Solomon and she's rebuffed his advances. But he says to her, you are pure. Remember what Paul said to that church at Corinth in the 11th chapter, 2 Corinthians, the second verse. He says, I have espoused you to one husband. We're not the bride of Christ yet, but we're engaged. He says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste or as a pure virgin to Christ. And so Paul understood as he wrote to this church at Corinth, just what the Lord was saying here to us that we as one of his churches are to be a pure church. In fact, just turn back over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and look at the 27th verse for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, here's the Lord's desire for his churches. And he says this, we read it a moment ago, that he might present to himself a glorious church. This talks about doctrinal purity, and this talks about 
moral purity. He may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot. What does spot talk about? It talks about a mark or a stain in a moral sense. Not having spot or wrinkle. Wrinkle talks about a fold or a pleat that would mar the appearance. Some wrinkle that might mar the appearance. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be what? Holy. Now, holy doesn't mean sinless. What does it mean? Separated, set apart. This church body needs to be set apart to God. We're His. We're to be obedient to Him, but that should be holy and without blemish. When He talks about a glorious church, He's talking about having an honorable church, a distinguished church. You know, I don't mind when we have the announcements of just having a little bit of fun with the announcements sometimes. But when it comes to the matter of preaching the Word of God and it comes to the matter of singing these songs of praise to God, I think that's serious business time, folks. And so we want to be a, the kind of church that the Lord can bless and we want to be the kind of church that can bring Him honor and to bring Him glory. Over in the book of Revelation, I said a moment ago that we are not the bride of Christ yet, but we're engaged to Christ over in the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter and verses 7 and 8, listen to how the bride of Christ is described. Revelation 19 verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. You get a picture of a beautiful bride you get a picture of a pure bride. In fact, if you turn back to chapter 14 for a moment, I know what's said in chapter 14 is said about the 144,000, but I think of what is said there could apply to what the Lord expects of His bride as well. You look at verses 4 and 5. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, wheresoever He goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. You get the picture of purity. And so he says of his churches, he says of those who would make up his bride, I want a pure church. The shepherd says of his Shulamite bride, she is pure. But she's also primary. You look at verse 9, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse, thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. Now, I'm going to ask most of us to go back a little ways in time, okay? Some won't have to go back as far, others will, all right? But do you remember what it was like to be in love? Amen. Thank you. I'm glad somebody said amen to that. You remember what it was like to just be in love? Just the thought. Young people can relate to this, I'm sure, because I'm sure some of these young ladies and some of these young men have a, young ladies have a boyfriend, young men have a girlfriend. Just the thought of him, girls, just the thought of her, what does that do for you? Just sort of makes your heart pound a little bit, doesn't it? Just gets you a little bit excited that you think about him, you can see his, his face or you can see her face in your mind. Just that glimpse and your heart begins to beat a little bit faster, sometimes you thought it burst. It just beat so hard, right? You know what that's called in Revelation 2? Honeymoon love. 
that honeymoon, that first love, that thrill that is brought by just the thought of that one, that means they're first and foremost in our thoughts. Now here's what the shepherd said, thou hast ravished my heart. You know what that word ravished means? It means you've excited my heart. You've inflamed my heart. You stirred up my heart. Now remember in our picture that we're making from Song of Solomon to Ephesians to the relationship between the Lord and His churches, I just get the idea that when the Lord thinks about His true churches, He gets a little bit excited about it. He gets a little bit thrilled about having a church that is dedicated to Him, that is serving Him. You know, after years of marriage, and we know it happens, we don't mean for it to happen, it sometimes takes place that husbands and wives sort of forget the honeymoon love. What happens is you get caught up in the day-to-day activities. You get just what we might call sometimes caught up in life, right? And so we fall into a rut and we just sort of begin to take one another for granted. The same thing can happen to churches. We can just get caught up in, you know, it's Sunday again. Vince Havner used a term many years ago, preached a message on it, church as usual. Now, I don't ever want to have church as usual. What that means is we fall into such a rut, we can just come in and sit down and we go through our motions of worship that we've always gone through. We just go through our habits and we walk out the door and say we've worshipped God when we may not have worshipped God at all. We've been through a church service. We've sung some songs. We've heard a preacher speak. But have I from my heart worshipped God? Every worship service of this church ought to be special and different in our own hearts each and every Sunday, each and every service. We'll come back tonight. Will 6 o'clock tonight be any different from right now? I hope it will be. I hope it will be a lot different from right now. But that it will be special to us. We just can't lump them all together and say, okay, that's church. No, it's, it's each time, each opportunity that we have to come together and to worship God. But again, I believe the thought of His faithful churches just creates a bit of excitement in our Lord's heart. And then he says in verse 10 that she's pretty. Look at that. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. That word fair implies beauty. How comely you are. Now this talks about both an internal beauty and an external beauty as he views his Shulamite bride. In fact, if you look back over to the first and second verses of this chapter, by the way, men, I don't think you're going to score any points with your wife if you start comparing her hair to goat's hair, okay? Because that's what he says. He's talking about her beauty. Thy hair is a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn that came up from the washing. Well, what he's doing, he's declaring her beauty as he views her, as he sees her. We need, as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both an internal beauty and an external beauty. We come to worship. Our worship ought to be pure and beautiful before the Lord. But when people see us out there in the world, there ought to be a beauty to us as well. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, teaches us that we ought to have a priority to our love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Our love for God ought to be foremost in our lives. 
You realize that before we were saved, we really didn't love God? You say, now, preacher, wait a minute. No, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Remember what the Scripture says there, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. How am I capable of loving God? Because God loved me. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. We were incapable of loving God before we came to know Jesus Christ the Savior. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled, we were what? Enemies. Before you came to know Jesus Christ the Savior, you were the enemy to God. I was the enemy to God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. 1 John 4, 7, 8. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. Because of God's great love for us, we are capable of loving God. But you notice what this shepherd says. He says, how fair is thy love. See, here's the Lord's desire for His churches to love Him first and foremost, and then for His churches to love one another. I said, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. But what's the second commandment that Jesus said is like unto the first and equal to it? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he desires that we love him and he desires that we love one another. Romans chapter 12, the scripture says, let love be without dissimulation. You know what dissimulation is? It is hypocrisy. There's not to be a hypocritical love among God's people. Do you ever think about Jesus wanting us to express our love to him? You know, I'm just going to base this on what I've experienced in my life. But I think wives like to hear I love you every once in a while. Thank you. I'm glad somebody agreed with that. I thought more of the ladies would say amen to that. But no, I, I think and husbands like to hear it. We like to hear our bride, the ladies like to hear our, their husbands say, I love you. But something better than that, we like to see that love demonstrated, don't we? Amen. I love you is just words. But words get demonstrated in the things that we do for one another. And we show our love for one another as we live day in and day out. And we can sit and sing, oh, how I love Jesus all we want, can't we? And we can say, I love Jesus. Well, I love this church. But do we demonstrate it day in and day out? Do we show our love for the Lord and do we show our love for His body here, this New Testament church? As we do that, when we do that, it is beautiful to him. He says to this Shulamite bride, he says, she's beautiful. She's lovely. And we demonstrate our love for the Lord in several different ways. Over in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, the first two verses, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. You know what that says? One of the ways we show our love for the Lord is to love our brethren. Verse 2 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep His commandments. 
We demonstrate our love for the Lord in the things that we do, in the self-sacrificing love that we have for Him. What's the new commandment that the Lord gave in John 13, 34, and 35? By this shall all men know you're my disciples. What is it? He said, I tell you to love one another. That's the new commandment. He said, as I have loved you, that you love one another. And again, he said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. I'll say again, and I've said before, you know how I feel about doctrine. We've got to stand for the truth. We'd better stand for the truth. We should not be moved off the truth. But everybody has doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. Everybody has a set of rules or things that they claim to believe. There's one thing that you and I, and we in this church have, and all saved people and all true churches have, one thing that we have that the world cannot duplicate I'm talking about the lost world, cannot duplicate, and that is the love of Christ in our hearts. When we live toward one another with that love, and we even live toward lost people with the love of Christ in our hearts, the world can't duplicate it, and it sets us apart as being different. And then our obedience to His commandments. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, And hereby do we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. Our obedience to Him. Our willingness to study the Word of God and say, here's what God expects of me as a child of God. Here's the way God wants me to live. Here's the way God wants me to present Him to the community. And then 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. It's not a burden to obey the Lord. And then... This shepherd says of his Shulamite bride, not only is she pure and not only is she primary and not only is she pretty, she is precious. This is how the Lord feels about his churches. She is precious. Verses 11 through 15. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue and the smell of thy garments is like the smell of Lebanon. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor and spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, all of the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, a streams from Lebanon. You say, what do you get from that? Every one of the things mentioned in those verses is something of great value in that day and in that age. In fact, if you go over today, I assume it hasn't changed since the last time we were there, but if you go over today, water's pretty precious over there. But all of the things mentioned are of great value. Think about it, milk. We don't think about the value of milk, but in that land, in that time they did. Honey, fragrance of Lebanon, choice fruits, a rock garden, a garden spring, a well of fresh water, and a flowing spring. All very valuable and all very precious. Let me ask you this. How precious is a New Testament church? I don't know what you would pay for, in that day, what you would pay for those things like a a rock garden or flowing springs or milk or honey. But it cost a lot. 
How precious is the church? What did it cost for this church, for example, to be established? You say, oh, well, let's see, we've been around this many years, and I think it's coming up on maybe 75 years, may just be over 75 years old that we are. But, oh, it's been this many years, and back then we had to get property, we had to build a building and so forth, and, and start naming all of the things that it cost. That's not what we're talking about. We know what it cost us to get into this building, and we thank God for that. But what did it cost for this church to exist? First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, we see what it cost for us to be saved and for this church to exist. Because there the scripture says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but what? But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It costs more than silver or gold for this church to exist. This church in the eyes of God is more valuable than a spotless lamb. In fact, it cost the blood of his lamb, his only begotten son for this church to exist and for every New Testament church to exist. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders He's reminding them that some difficult times are coming. And in verse 28, he says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. We start thinking about cost to exist as a church. At the very top of the list ought to be the blood of Jesus. That makes this church precious to our Lord. See, usually that which costs a lot it's precious to us, isn't it? We have something we spend a lot of money on. We want to just hang on to it. We want to hold on to it. We want to admire it. We take special care of it. And yet, there are people, some of the same folks, who would treat the Lord's church just any old way. Well, it's always going to be there, right? I can go to church if I want. They'll be there next week and the next week and the next week. And so... The church becomes not very special to those folks, but it is special. It's special to the Lord, and it ought to be special to us. A problem a lot of times in marriages is the husband and wives stop viewing one another as precious. Stop viewing one another as special. And one of the problems in the church relationship is that many times we can't see or we won't see the value of a New Testament church. This church was purchased by the blood of Christ. It was purposed to bring glory to God, and it has been placed here to be a source of strength and instruction to her members. That's why this church exists. Well, that's how the shepherd sees his bride. And aren't you glad that the Lord views us that way, that we're special to him, that he wants us to be pure, that we are primary to him, that he sees us as pretty, and he sees us as precious, well, we're going to get right quickly in verse 16 the response of this Shulamite woman. And here's what she says in verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come thy south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. What's she saying? She wants, first of all, the presence of her beloved. She desires the presence of her beloved. We ought never to have a worship service 
And I hope we don't ever have one like this where Jesus is not present. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. By my name talked about his authority. We're gathered to Christ's authority. We're to his church. And we ought to desire not just his presence, but his preeminence in our worship. So what do you mean his preeminence? Everything that we do, whether it's sing a song, sing a special, play an instrument, preach a message, whatever it may be, everything that we do ought to be for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is the honor and glory of God through Jesus Christ. Another problem faced by married couples sometimes is this, separation. You know, we live in a time when there's a lot of forces trying to draw husbands and wives apart. And they're not bad things, bad forces either. You know, when you've got one child playing baseball and one child playing softball and they've got games on the same night, at the same time you can't be in both places at the same time, can you? So mom goes one way and dad goes the other. And we've all experienced that, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying there are things that, you know, we have jobs, and we have to go off to our jobs, and, and we get separated, and doing things with the children. I think sometimes the church can have too many activities and draw families apart. I think that's entirely possible. I've never wanted in the church I pastor to have something every night of the week. Because what are you doing? You're taking the home, and you're stretching it out. You're separating it many times. And I would hate for one of the Lord's churches to be the cause of problems in the home. But notice that this Shulamite woman, her thoughts and her love are fixed on her beloved. She thinks of him. She considers him. You know, I said something recently, and I don't know whether it's in something I wrote or what, but said something recently about God consciousness. Daily God consciousness. You know what daily God consciousness is? That each and every day, not just on Sunday, not just on a Wednesday night, but each and every day we live with a consciousness of God. That we just say, you know, we get up in the morning, thank you Lord for you know, waking me up today, giving me life today. But as we go through our day, we understand that I'm not doing this on my own and I'm not doing this by myself and I'm not just out here freelancing but there's a God in heaven who cares for me who watches over me. Well, to have our minds fixed on Jesus. Now, we should never be, as one preacher said, and I agree with him, we should never be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. We have to live and function and operate in this world. We have to have our minds on what we're doing at work or else we're going to have problems there. And so I understand, I'm not talking about just walking around with your head in the clouds or your head in heaven all the time so you don't know what's going on on the earth. But at the same time, as we live from day to day in this life, that we have our minds fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus teach us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should live daily with the expectation this could be the day. This could be the day. Would this be the day that Jesus returns? Jesus is coming back. And we ought to live with not just the thought of it, but with the expectation of it. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul's life is coming to an end. And as he writes to Timothy, he reminds him, he said, I've, you know, I've 
finished my course, I've kept the faith, and all those things he says. And he says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. What he's saying is we ought to live with the expectation and the desire that may today be the day that Jesus returns. You know, if you're waiting for the world to get better, you're going to have a long wait. Because until Jesus Christ sits on the throne and rules on this earth for a thousand years, there's nothing on this earth that's going to get better. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And I think we're seeing it in daily life. And now, as we come to this verse, he's saying, you just live with the expectation of the return of Christ. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was a teenager, I didn't want to think about the return of Jesus. Well, I want to grow and, you know, get older and have a life and get married and, and, and all of those things because I could not see beyond those things. But as we consider the coming of Jesus and what's going to take place when He returns, the, the receipt of the glorified bodies, the ruling and reigning with Him, the new heaven and the new earth, there's nothing better on this earth than that. And so we live with that expectation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus taught us not to lay up treasure on earth. Don't put it here where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our treasure today as God's people? You know, and I don't know whether this is a good comparison or not, but we're just rocking along, everything just going along as usual up until four weeks ago, and then we just got taught a little lesson, didn't we? All of this can be taken away very quickly. So we don't lay our treasure up in a building. We certainly don't lay it up in the comforts of a building. We better lay our treasure up in heaven and lay our treasure up in the Lord because who has brought us to this point where we are back here today? It is God Himself. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, talking about the coming of the Lord, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. As we have this expectation of the coming of Christ, it ought to affect our daily living. That's what he says. We ought to live for the Lord every day. We ought to live these pure lives that Remember Jesus said, or the shepherd said, she is pure. We ought to live these lives of faithfulness and purity to the Lord. Folks, I believe with all of my heart, and I believe you know this, this church is special to the Lord Jesus. Amen. He bought it. He paid for it. It's His. But if it's special to Him, guess what? It ought to be special to us also. I'm not talking about the building. We found out four weeks ago we can be a church without a building. We might be an uncomfortable church without a building, but we can be a church without a building. But this church, this body, how do you want people, men, to treat your bride, ladies, to treat your husband, your mate? How do you want people to treat that one that you love, that you're married to? How do you think the Lord wants people to treat His bride? We're living in a day when uh, churches are doing a lot of things to try to get people to come to church. Churches are doing a lot of things to try to get their own members 
to come to church. When a simple love for and commitment to the Lord Jesus, if we really had that, would cause us to say, I'm not going to let anything keep me from being faithful to my Lord. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to serve Him. And when opportunity arises to gather together and to worship Him with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to be there.